0: Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 23, as this morning we focus in on the fruit of joy, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, as part of our sermon series of the fruit of the Spirit. This is on page um, 975 of your pew Bibles. I invite you to stand, have respect for God's word. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus is infinitely and indestructibly happy. Does that surprise you? That Jesus, your Savior, is the happiest man to have ever lived and still living at the right hand of the Father is full of such delight and joy and happiness that it overflows. I think one of the reasons why that comes as a bit of surprise to us is because we tend to think of jesus as the man of sorrows acquainted with grief and of course the scripture says that this is who this is who our savior is but he is also very much so a man of joy acquainted with laughter acquainted with delight jesus frequented feasts and festivals In fact, think about his first miracle. Where was it? At a wedding. What was he doing? Taking water and turning it into wine. Multiplying the joy of the people. Inviting them to party. Inviting them to delight. Expanding their joy. And with that very first miracle, it was like Jesus was announcing um, to everyone, this is what my kingdom is like. You often hear of someone kicking off a political campaign, and the very first uh, thing that they often do is they have some sort of a, um, a a celebration or a speech that encapsulates what their whole ministry, what their whole, well, their whole campaign is like. Well, with Jesus, in a similar way, when he begins his campaign to, to open the doors of the kingdom of God, his very first miracle in the wedding of Cana explodes. Expanding the joy of the people, turning water into wine is like saying to everyone, this is what my kingdom is like. And if you if you miss the joy that it brings, then, you, then you've missed the purpose of it all. It bothers me deeply that our world thinks of Jesus as a killjoy. Because he is the furthest thing from that. Joy belongs to him. Happiness is his possession. And it's that joy of our Savior, which we learn in our passage, is also a fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't just keep that joy to himself. He wants to plant it within you. It it spills out from his heart. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants to form that happiness in your heart. Our Savior is happy, and he wants you to be happy too. Now, that word happy, been awfully watered down, hasn't it, in our culture? Here's what I mean by happy. The true meaning, the biblical meaning, is a deep and abiding delight of the soul. A deep and and abiding delight of the soul. And that delight of the soul, that joy, is present to every Christian, even if uh, they don't immediately feel it or are or, or not in the mood to experience it. This is true joy. I want us to look at this, uh, this fruit of the Spirit, this is joy, by, by asking ourselves, what does the Holy Spirit want to work in us in this joy? Where do we find it, first of all, and then how do we cultivate it? Where do we find it? How do we cultivate it? Let me first begin by speaking to where we don't find joy. We do not find it in our circumstances. You see, there's a kind of counterfeit um, joy that looks like joy on the surface, but you dig deeper, and it's not. There's actually a kind of counterfeit to every one of the fruit of the Spirit. And Much like we learned with love, there's a kind of way in which you can love someone or look like you're loving someone um, and giving yourself to them. In reality, there can be a very counterfeit way in which what you're really doing is saying, I need you to need me. I need your affections. I want you for myself. And there's a kind of very selfishness, a selfish attraction that love can masquerade as. Well, it's, it's similar with joy. We can... Have this counterfeit delight of the soul, but you know it's not lasting in, tr- in true joy because as soon as circumstances change, you plummet from the heights and your mood is in the depths of despair and hopelessness. See, we all know this. What, what's, what, what happens when life is going well? What happens when we're getting everything that we'd hoped for? When when life just happens to line up right with our plan? We walk into the room with, with a smile and with uh, you know a stride in our step, and everyone can say, Wow, well, that, that guy is just happy today. Well, that you know look at that joy. And then sorrow comes. Death knocks on your doorstep. fight breaks out between you and your wife and then what happens you become a completely different person the mood swings to despair and hopelessness and, and, and it's like overnight things changed Well, here's the thing when, if that's the kind of thing that is joy then really what we're looking at is a happiness rooted in blessings and not the blesser that kind of mood masquerading as joy is really just a, a way of looking to the blessings, uh, the gifts that God gives us. And when they're right within our grasp, everything's good. But When they're out of our reach, then suddenly we swing, looking to the blessings and not the blessing. Well, Luke 10, chapter 20, or Luke chapter 10, verse 20 actually speaks of this. Uh, Jesus sends out his 70 uh, disciples and he, he tells them to go and to cast out demons and to sin and to open the doors to the kingdom of God. And that's what they do. And then they come back and they're so excited. We saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And then Jesus speaks to them and says, that's great. That's great. Wow. But don't rejoice in this. He said, instead, uh, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see what Jesus is saying? He says, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are under your command. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So he's, he's tracing this way that all of his disciples could be on cloud nine when the demons flee. His disciples are are in the best of moods when they come back and say, things are going great, Lord. Your kingdom is expanding in all the ways we want to see it expand. And and Jesus says, yeah, I gave you that glimpse for a reason, but it's not what you're going to find your joy in because it's not always going to look like this. In fact, following me often looks like following me to a cross, following me to the valley of the shadow of death. So don't rejoice in your circumstances. Instead, rejoice in what? That your names are written in heaven. Now here's where we find the source of true joy. If it is not your circumstances, if it's not the changing things of life that you cannot control, what it in fact is, is this. True joy springs from knowing the infinite value of all that God has given you in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time. True joy springs forth from knowing the infinite value of all that God has given you in Christ Jesus. Do you know what God has given you? If Christ is indeed your Savior this morning, think of some of these things. Some of these things that we often take for granted. Think of the Father's forgiveness. What does He proclaim to you during this very worship service? Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, we are a people that turned and fled from the joy of the Father, who tried to look to fleeting things of this life to give us joy. We are a people who have looked to anything but God to find joy, and yet He has pursued us all the way to the cross and all the way to the point where He can speak to us loud and clear Your sins are forgiven and the guilt that was on your shoulders for what you had run from, for what you have done, for your rebellion against me. I nailed it to the cross. And my word to you this morning, the Father's word to you this morning is what? In Christ you are forgiven. Now think about this. Can anything change that? No. Nothing. There is no political shift, no marital blow up, no nothing, no lost job that can change that reality that you are forgiven in Christ Jesus. The Father's forgiveness rests on you. Here's another. The Father cares for you. You have the Father's forgiveness. This morning you also have the Father's care. And the scriptures say to you that all things must work together for your good. And so when things shift in your life and you say, God, what is going on here? What are you doing? I don't understand this. It's out of my control. God says, you might not get it, but let me tell you one thing that you can know for sure. The unchanging reality that everything that happens in your life is bent towards your good. And my will is with you to orchestrate it all to the end. All to the point where you grab a hold of that inheritance in heaven, which is already yours in Christ Jesus. And so we have the Father's care. Now I ask you again, what can change that? Even when your parents fail to care for you, even when your spouse fails to care for you, even when uh, the government which is tasked with serving with the sword fails to care in that way for you, the Father's care is yours. Here's one more thing. The Father's forgiveness is yours. The Father's care is yours. The Father's embrace is yours. Now here is the mind-blowing reality of all of this. That we are not just possessors of God's blessings; we are possessors of God Himself. You see, from the very foundation of the world, God was full of delight in and of Himself. The Father full of love for the Son, the Son full of love for the Father, and in the Holy Spirit uh, within this uh, love and delight. And this love, this delight, this joy, this happiness within God Himself was so full. it spilled forth and he created you so that you would know the joy of God the joy of the Trinity and he says I'm not just going to give you heaven I'm not just going to give you care I'm going to give you me and Psalm 16 says what (laughs) Lord At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You can take it all away, Lord. You can take away every good thing in this life. But if I have you, if I know you, then I have the greatest joy imaginable. What does the Westminster Shorter Catechism question number one say? What is man's chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Enjoy him forever. Now, I want you to notice something. Notice this, that these gifts are ours even in the midst of deep grief and sorrow. You know, one of the things that you can really benefit from, from listening to uh, African-American spirituals, from the songs sung by Christians who were slaves unjustly, and then the kind of songs that were sung by pilgrims um, in this land, during times of great grief and woe, is they will pour out their heart of sorrow and grief and they will say, Lord, this is not my home. Lord, I long for something better. But they will conclude by saying, but Jesus, I have you and I know where I'm going and I know who you are. I think we've forgotten that today. We've forgotten that the opposite of joy is not sorrow. It's not grief, but rather the opposite of joy is despair and hopelessness. You see, you, like the Apostle Paul in Philippians, could be in prison. Your hands bound in chains, and yet you can say, I know the secret to enduring all things. I know the secret to, uh, in, in suffering and, and, in, and in delight. I know the way forward, and it is Christ Jesus and contentment in him. You see, joy offers you, friends, a bottomless pool of hope. You can just reach into it and reach into it and always find it, no matter where you are in life. The hope of the gospel. Now, this is what our world desperately needs. Have you noticed that our world is despairing and hopeless? Have you noticed that our world is angry and supremely bored People are so bored that they spend countless hours a day fighting with political opponents on, on Facebook. You have to be awfully bored to do that. And then there were some kids driving through my neighborhood yesterday. Um, just, they become known in this neighborhood as, as kids that, that want to steal stuff, want to create issues. Someone confronted them about it and they said, What are we supposed to do? <laughs> we're bored. You don't want to, if you're going to tell us not to steal and and to make a mess of things around the neighborhood, what do you want us to do? You see, friends, the world is bored and it's angry and it's despairing because it doesn't know the gospel. Now, let me say this. If you are a seeker here, you're here and you say, you know, I'm not a Christian, but I want to know more. And I'm thinking about this. Then I want to put something, a, a little rock in your shoe, something for you to think about. And it's simply this, that the world can offer you a lot of different joys. But the world cannot offer you a joy that it cannot take away. You see, there is not a joy in the world that it can give that it cannot take away. In fact, there's not a joy that the world can give that will not fade. Things of this life offer fleeting pleasures, moments of happiness, moments of satisfaction. But you've noticed what it's like. It's in the next moment. You're like, okay, what's next? Okay, been there, done that. What comes next? But the gospel of Jesus Christ gives you joy now. And it gives you this bottomless pool of hope that you never get tired of of searching into, never get tired of reaching into and applying to your heart. You see, because what you get in the gospel is God himself. And God is so great and infinite that you're never going to figure him out. You're never going to get to the end of him. He's only going to give you more and more of himself, more hope, more satisfaction, even in the face of suffering, even in the face of death. So I would urge you to lay a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, repent of your sins, turn to Jesus, and find in him what? Not some kill joy, but true joy. Maybe you're wondering as a Christian, how do I practice this joy? You say it's mine. But how can I be joyful when I don't feel like it? How can I be joyful when every, uh, every appeal to be joyful just feels like you're telling me, force your feelings, put on a happy face, fake it. And that's not what I'm saying. That's not what the scriptures are saying. The scriptures are not saying, force your feelings. The scriptures are, in fact, saying that joy is not a fleeting feeling, But joy is something that can be cultivated in practice. And if you have the Lord Jesus Christ, joy is already yours. What what you're going to do is to to see that joy brought out more fully and expressed in your life. And you're going to come to know all that you already have in Jesus. Now, the scriptures actually speak of joy as something that can be drawn out and practiced. Philippians 4.4 says this. Rejoice in the Lord. Then it says Again, I say, rejoice. You see, Paul understands this has to be something that Christians are regularly reminded of. Because what do we do? We know, we, we feel in our hearts that drift away, that drift to look to things that offer fleeting joys. We forget all that we have in the gospel. And our our, our sorrow and our grief loom so large that we can tend to minimize the, the wonderful things that we have in Jesus right now. And so what I would first say to you, friends, is fight for joy it's something to be fought for every day of your life when you wake up you're not always going to feel joyful but the command of the scriptures is to rejoice and you're going to do that in some some ways by opening your scriptures and saying Lord I don't feel like doing this but I know I'm meeting you in your word show me the glories within show me your promises And what I found, friends, is that when we do enter into the duty and the privilege of opening God's word or praying to him in season, he brings our hearts along and shows us all that he's given us within. Let me ask you a question here. What is it that's keeping you from seeing all that you have in Jesus? What is it that's keeping you from seeing all that you have in Jesus and seeing it for all it's worth? One of the things that might be happening is you've forgotten who you are. I forget who I am very often. We don't really believe that we are God's sons and daughters, that he wants us to be happy in Christ Jesus right here and right now. You see, there's a way to approach the Christian life in which we don't really believe that God our Father wants us to be happy. There's a way to approach the Christian life with perpetual straight faces and denying ourselves the goodness of God where we question whether we should even enjoy a slice of pizza. Why? Because we want to punish ourselves. We want to say, Lord, I haven't done proper penance before you. And so I can't smile, I can't delight in the gospel until until I've sufficiently turned. You know, that's a kind of legalism that's backwards. Because what God does is say Yes, I'm calling you to repent of your sins. Yes, I'm calling you to be sanctified. Yes, I'm calling you to grow and walk on that path towards that glorification. But right here and right now, I'm saying you imperfect Christian, sin struggling Christian, you are forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ and happiness is yours. And then your fight with sin flows out of that happiness. Don't deny yourself the good things of God. Embrace them and and, and, and embrace them in such a way that your heart is filled with gratitude so that you walk more and more in step with the Spirit. We're never going to, to reach joy by punishing ourselves into perfection. And so I'd push you, friends, to really believe. Actually ask your heart, do you believe that God wants you to be happy in Jesus right now? Then here's the second thing. You may have forgotten who you are. You may have also forgotten what you have in Jesus. You see, there's a way in living, way of living, in which you're always saying, if only I had that woman, that man, that car, that home, that job, that kid, then I'd really be able to smile. Then I'd be happy. Then I'd be joyful. Jesus says, don't you know the words of Psalm 16 that the sorrows of those who run after another God will multiply? But when you realize that what you have at God's right hand right now is pleasures forevermore, you realize you don't need any one of those things, but they are simply good gifts from God's hands. But they are just that gifts and the great giver, he is your blessedness, he is your reward. You have in Jesus Christ right now the love of God the Father and the joy of the Trinity at your very reach. So why are you telling yourself that unless you get something else that you can't be happy? That's a lie. You need to tell yourself that's a lie. And so we fight for joy. We fight for joy by killing sin that's keeping us from seeing the beauty of Jesus. We fight for joy by remembering who we are forgiven in him. We fight for joy by remembering all we have by reading his word, by, by looking in his word for the promises of God. Here's a very brief challenge. If you've started to forget who you are in Jesus, then why don't you just start with Ephesians 1? Read the book of Ephesians and, and and start to make a list in your notebook. Who am I in Jesus? Start to write out who you are. Then you'll start to remember. That you start to get a sense of all you have in the gospel. And in fighting for joy, friends, there is very good news. That good news comes to you from John chapter fifteen. Let me go there. John fifteen verse eleven. In closing. John 15 verse 11 says this. Jesus says these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, Jesus is still on a mission to fill you with joy. Jesus wants you to be joyful and notice from this passage that your joy is. Completes your Savior's joy. Jesus loves to see you embracing the good things He's given you. Jesus loves to see you embracing Himself and saying, Lord, I'm full of sorrow, I'm full of grief, but you are mine. You are mine. And that makes all the difference. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Fill us with joy, the kind of love for you that sings over the misery of this life. And just like those who were enslaved in this country, many of them sang those gospel promises above the groans of their labors. And just as Lord, there were pilgrims who traveled to this land who experienced famine and pestilence. But yet, Lord, they sang above the groans of their hunger, those, the gospel tunes and hymns and psalms. We ask, Lord, that in the same way, we would sing for joy and would be found smiling even as sorrow brings us to our knees. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.